0: You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Miss U Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Kutz.
1: All right, folks, we are rapidly coming to the end of this season. Um, and I just love that I get to meet people on this podcast and, and chat with them and then and share it with you. And a couple of months ago, uh, a friend of mine, Katie Cole, connected me with this absolute fireball of a leader named Lisa Nichols. Lisa is the CEO of Technology Partners. She's a passionate follower of Jesus. And she operates her ministry uh, primarily in the for-profit business space. I had the privilege of being on Lisa's podcast, Something Extra. It's a fantastic uh, leadership podcast. In fact, her latest guest, Jim Canfield... So no slouch. Uh, Lisa uh, is is amazing at networking, at having a kingdom vision for her business, and I'm I'm always particularly interested in Christians in the marketplace. Uh, I think they just have something to offer us, particularly those of us who are faith leaders in the church. So, Lisa, welcome to the Managing Leadership Anxiety podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, Steve. I've really been looking forward to our conversation. I know how much fun we had on mine. And so I'm just expecting the same kind of experience today. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes, I'm counting on uh, depth and frivolity. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So, You know, for people who don't know technology partners, maybe just give us a taste of, okay, what do you do? What does the company do? And what do you do for the company?
0: Sure, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Well, this is a fun story. Uh, my husband Greg and I met in church, Steve, when we were three and five. We're from a very small little town in Kentucky, yes, and contrary. Yes, I am. I'm a Kentucky woman born and raised. Um, I always laughingly say, contrary to what you may have heard, Greg and I are not kissing cousins. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> you hear that sometimes about Kentucky, but we're three and five. We started dating in high school, dated all the way through high school, all the way through college, married our senior year of college, and then we were recruited to McDonnell Douglas Uh, that was headquartered in St. Louis. Wonderful, wonderful company. And now, uh, obviously, they've been acquired by Boeing, But we spent the first 10 years of our careers in Fortune 500 companies and just learning and growing and just absorbing everything. And then 27 years ago, decided to jump onto the entrepreneurial wagon and we co-founded Technology Partners. So Technology Partners, we're headquartered in St. Louis. We're doing business all over the country. But we are a full-service IT staffing and solutions company. So if um, a company needs staff, that we can do that. Or we can go in and build a whole solution. So if they need custom software development, we're doing a lot around, I'm sure that some of your listeners know about data analytics and data science. It's a huge area right now. Never before, Steve, have we gathered as much data ever in in history. But what do you do with that data? And that's what we're helping companies build data lakes and so they can synthesize better insights, build dashboards and that sort of thing. So, yeah. So that was 27 years ago. I, um, you know, I often get asked about, well, how is that working with your husband? So I'm the CEO of the company and he's the president COO. We have about 375 employees that work for us. Um, Yeah. And so that's an interesting that's an interesting story.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a couple of questions about that. Like, even when you were working for McDonald Douglas, you, it's it's unusual that you would both be recruited into one company. What was that like early in your marriage? You're coming home from work, bringing work home, and you know, tell tell us a bit about that.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we were in very different areas, and at the time, Steve McDonald Douglas was the largest employer in St. Louis. They employed about forty five thousand people. Oh my God. And so I was in corporate accounting. So I have a BS in accounting. So I, instead of going the public route, I went to corporate. And so I was doing that. And Greg was a software engineer. So we're in very different roles, different places in the company, but we would carpool a lot together, you know, and that was always interesting because I wasn't at the time a morning person and he would want to get in (laughs) deep conversation. I'm like, can I just sleep for like 40 minutes while we're traveling? Um, But yeah, so being in business together, though, I mean, we've learned a few things over the years, Steve. And one of the things that we have done is we've really leaned into our strengths We are wired very differently, very differently. Um, I'm more of a sanguine. He is more of a choleric. Um, You know, I have some choleric in me too. But uh, we're wired differently, and so we do very different roles in the company. And what we learned a long time ago is that if we stay in our own swim lane, if we stay in our strength zones we we do better, right? And we're not tripping over one another. Now, obviously, we co-lead the company together. So large strategic decisions, we're coming together on those. But the day-to-day, really, we're not tripping over each other because we're staying in our swim lane. I, I will say for anybody that's out there that possibly has their own business and, and a husband and wife, another thing that Greg and I learned, and this was several years ago, when you have your own business it can be all consuming, right? When you're taking a walk, you're talking strategy when you're on vacation. I mean, you're, it can be all consuming. And so we found that this was the case with us. We were just talking business all the time, talking business in front of our kids. And so what we did was we implemented a principle where we, we have regular meetings with one another, during the week, during the business hours. (laughs) So that, you know, just like we would any of our other employees, you know, and um, so then that way, when we're away from the business, it's not, it doesn't consume us. And we we learned that lesson the hard way. Um, But you know, I would definitely say that has worked for us.
1: Yeah, I have some friends, Jeff and Sherry Surratt, they're both in ministry, both pastors, and uh, they have often found themselves serving the same church together. And uh, they actually wrote a wonderful book uh, called Ministry Together. And it is, it's what you're talking about. How do you navigate this? One of my favorite stories of theirs, they, they found themselves talking about church so much that they decided, okay, they were placed at a church near the coast. And so they, they said, okay, let's go out on a boat ride. And as long as we're on the boat, we cannot talk about church. And the boat broke down. And they ended up spending the night on the boat. And they just oh, didn't know what they didn't know what to talk about. Like they just they'd been such in the habit of discussing shop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a real challenge.
0: It is a challenge, and it's an easy trap to fall into because, yeah. especially when you own your own thing, you're never finished. There's always more, Steve, that you can be doing right, and always more challenges to solve and opportunities to seize and uh, strategic thinking. I mean, yeah, it's a it can be a trap.
1: Yeah. So as a follower of Christ, Lisa, like like one of the first impressions I got of you is you are passionate about your faith. Talk to us about opportunities and challenges as an overt follower of Christ in the workplace.
0: Yeah, that is such a great question. I love that question. Um, You know, and I know that you know this quote, Steve, but as far as opportunities go, I think it was Billy Graham, the great evangelist Billy Graham said, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through the believers in the marketplace. And so I truly believe that too. So I look at the marketplace as my mission field. Really, um, you know, I feel like people are yearning for hope, you know, they're learning for purpose in life. And so, every day when I'm interacting with people, and I'm interacting with a lot of people every single day, not just the people within our company, but people in the community and other colleagues and other companies, I have the day, the opportunity every single day to be a shining light. For Jesus in how I show up and how I lead and how I interact with people. So, you know, that gives me great purpose in every day. I know that, you know, my greatest calling is to whatever I do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. And so there is a tremendous opportunity. And I feel like people, leaders, um, you know, have been given a very unique position and a unique platform. And so for me, I've chosen to use that to spread the kingdom and to grow the kingdom. But there's also challenges. I will tell you, there are going to be people who do not like the fact that you're a Christian. They do not like that. I remember a few years ago around Easter, I had just posted, I'm very active on social media, very active on LinkedIn, very active in Facebook, more for personal LinkedIn, more for business. And I'm very active. And on LinkedIn, I had posted a post, a beautiful, um, it was around Easter, you know, the flowers were starting to bloom. I mean, everything was coming to life. And I just had posted this gorgeous picture and just a quote about how the heavens and nature declares the glory glory of God. And I had a guy reach out to me and, um, you know, really chastise me about that. And he's like, Lisa, I don't believe anything that you're saying here. And so I'm going to stop following you. And (laughs) I'm also going to stop doing business with your company. I'm not going to be doing business with your company any longer. And see, it really took me aback because I, you know, if you knew me, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. That's one of my dark sides. Um, I can I can fall into that trap. And so it really took me aback because I want people to like me. And, and, you know, but really, as I prayed about it more, I mean, I got over it really quickly. Because Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you in the presence of my Father. And I will tell you what, I decided that day, I'm never going to openly stand in judgment of the other people. That is not my role. I'm not the judge. But I am not going to back down from proclaiming the truth. And I'm very vocal about that. I just I posted a scripture yesterday on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I figured if people don't like it, they can unfollow me. They can right, just not read right. my post, right?
1: Yeah, it it's an interesting reaction uh to to have to put such a severe line in the sand, particularly, you know, obviously I'm an Australian, particularly in a country that celebrates freedom of religion, to where, you know, a Muslim is free to also quote the Quran or like like I don't know. That it's an interestingly harsh response. One one of the things our church is talking about right now is is the way the church has I think an earned reputation of being highly judgmental. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think all churches are like that, but it, it is a reputation in our culture. But what's interesting is, in my opinion, our culture has become harsher than the church. And I, I just wonder if there's an opportunity for the, the local church to be, become once again, the refuge of diversity of opinion and tolerance,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: because boy, like what you just experienced, that seems to be happening more and more
0: hmm. Right. And, and you know this better than I do, Steve, because you've studied this with family systems theory and you've studied the underlying um, things of anxiety and that sort of thing. But I am I don't know his situation. Right. I really I've met him before, but I really don't know him. And so oftentimes you never know when you get a response like that. I mean, he could have been really seriously hurt. Right. Possibly yeah, even by word. the church in the past. Right. right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good word. Well, you raise the people pleasing and, you know, as you know, on this podcast, we like to rummage around in people's personal lives. Um, tell us about what puts you under pressure as a leader. You know, what triggers you where you struggle to rest in peace? You know what? That was mm-hmm. a terribly way to name that, Lisa. I just made it sound like you're dead. Let me try that one again. <laughs> rest in rest peace. In is in where peace. I, Yeah, rest in peace is where I got myself into trouble. Um, yeah. What kind of triggers do you have that you know put you under pressure where your mind starts spinning? You have trouble relaxing.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot of those, <laughs> you know. And I always say, you know, I'm so fortunate, Steve, because I do have a co-leader in our company, in Greg, you know. And so the pressure that I feel is always a shared pressure. Mm. Um, I have a good friend, Jeff Johnson. Out of um, Iowa at Jeff runs Johnson Machine Works out of Iowa. And he always says his grandmother used to say a shared joy is twice the joy, but a shared pressure or a shared challenge is half the challenge, half the Mm -hmm. burden. <laughs> you know, and so I'm so grateful that I have a partner in in uh, business and in life that I can share that with. But you know, I think anyone in a top leadership position, you know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I mean, we are stewards of the business that God has helped us build. We've got, but it's not just us, Steve. There's 375 families who are counting on us to make wise and prudent decisions. So oh. yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I, I was reading recently in Ink Magazine, I don't know what it is for leaders and founders, but I know it's more. You know, the average person has to make 35,000 decisions a day. <laughs> I'd love to know what that is for founders and leaders. I know that it's more than that, right? No, and they can be no. super simple decisions, or they can be major decisions. Like, during COVID, how are we going to pivot our business to keep, keep going? What, what new business lines do we need to be offering right now to our clients? Do we need to open up new markets? I mean, it can be, there's so many different decisions. And so, you know, I will tell you, um, I've had people that have come on the podcast, Steve, and they've turned the tables on me and they say, Lisa, you always ask us. What's the something extra that every leader needs? I'm gonna ask you that question and mm. I always say it's God given supernatural wisdom mm. <laughs> is the something extra I think every leader needs. But you know, for us, you know, there are um, there there sometimes are situations where they feel like ticking time bombs and that can create a lot of anxiety. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had a situation. I'll just give you an story. We had a situation last year where we had had we've been in business for twenty seven years. We had a client that we had had probably for about twenty four years. Steve and the team, you know, I'm just telling you, was not delivering to the SLAs that were expected of us and in, in our Master Service Agreement. And so we made some pivots. We we did some staffing changes. Um, we're doing everything in our power to Keep this client you know and and to turn the the ship I mean it was um talk about tremendous pressure because then that is you know um lost revenue that is lost positions for people um you know, so yeah, there's ticking time bombs sometimes that can bring a tremendous amount of pressure, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of
1: leaders have a, a narrative in their head or or a story they tell themselves about themselves when they're not living up to their own expectations. Would you be willing to get us in your head a bit, Lisa, about what what do you say about yourself or do you have any battles in there in your mind about that?
0: Oh, I absolutely do. Listen, I we run I'm the CEO of a tech company. Steve, I'm probably the least technical person in our whole company. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so my inner critic sometimes can can flare up and go, "You're not technical. You know, you don't you don't understand." I fly at the thirty thousand foot view. I mean, I can. You get me down in the weeds and it's not going to be pretty, right? Mm, Uh, But fortunately, I always say, and I think this is a good lesson for leaders too, Steve, you can't be all things. Yeah. And you have to, you know, as a leader, you have to surround yourself with people. I mean, I say all the time, I'm not technical, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of technical geniuses. But, you know, you can beat yourself up over that and say, gosh, you know, if I was just more technical, but no, you know, there I have strengths that I bring to the table. I, you know, I can tell you my strength finders, you know, I'm a connected, I'm a connector, I'm a maximizer, I'm positive. Those are some of belief. I have strong belief, Um, So you won't find anybody that's more evangelistic than I am about technology because I truly do believe that technology can improve the world. I've got so many stories about people that are doing amazing things. My good friend Dinesh Nagda runs Resilient Health and they're using robotic avatars to bring the best doctors in the world into any community you know, in telehealth to help, you know, patients. And so I'm a great evangelist, you know, for that. And so, but my inner critic sometimes can just go, wow, you know, you're just not technical enough, or, you know, you really can't speak into this because you don't really know what you're talking about. Um, and And you just, you just have to say, you know, that's not my that's not my role and let me bring Matt or Steven or Jake, <laughs> one of these other guys that, that is very technical with me, right?
1: Yeah, that's good. I love what you just said about the robotic surgery. I've heard about that, that, you know, there's coming a day where the surgeon can be anywhere in the world, right? Operating on someone else anywhere in the world. That's just unbelievable.
0: You talk about improving the world, right? Yeah, you talk about systemic
1: poverty and opportunity. It's an incredible yes. thing.
0: It's an incredible
1: thing, right? I actually wanted to circle back to that Lisa. One of the first things you said when we started chatting was the idea of how your company navigates data. We we know so much. Like even what I what I've learned because obviously I've been on a, a steep learning curve as mm-hmm. I'm operating my own business now. You know, as you know, I'm I'm not even a year into it really, or maybe just over a year. And probably like you, I'm not tech savvy, but I didn't have a budget to pay a web designer. So I had to learn how to build my own website. And obviously, it's not just a Squarespace. This is a highly complex you know, subscription model with all these plugins and video protection. It's really something. But what surprised me was how creepy I could get if I wanted to about <laughs> uh, chasing people and mm-hmm. um, knowing what they do. Uh, so what's your, what's your thought ethically as a Christian on how appropriately to handle data? Because obviously it can be an incredible gift, but it also could be wielded poorly, I guess, like any, any good thing. I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that.
0: That's, that's a great question, Steve. Yeah. I mean, privacy of data is, is really important. And in fact, any company that we work with, that is one of their first questions is how are you going to secure our data? Um, you know, cause you, we've, we know of companies who have had data breaches and mm-hmm. it's not good. It's not good. Right. So yeah, as far as um, you know, how you do that data. So like, I'll give you, I'll give you a story. So right now, uh, BJC is a huge, um, probably the tenth largest hospital system in the nation, and we have a fabulous university here, Washington University. Um, some of your listeners may have even gone to medical school at WashU. It's a fabulous. It's um, very famous. Um, you know,
1: yeah,
0: it's yeah, very famous. You know, lots of research. So what we're doing right now is we're helping because obviously the hospital system is is gathering clinician data, right? They're, they're, they're um, real data from patients. They're, they're gathering that. But then you have WashU that has all this research data. Well, you know, I mean, we have to scrub the person's name, the patient. <laughs> you know, but what is happening with that patient is going into a data lake, you know, and we're marrying that data so that we can help drive better insights and hopefully better patient outcomes, Steve, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean, the, the person I can tell you all kinds of stories, MasterCard, for instance, you know, they're gathering lots of data, but it's never, I never know. Now I will know that somebody was at quick trip and they bought, you know, a Coca-Cola, but they're very careful. I don't know that it was Steve Cuss. You know, they're very careful about the protecting the person. So, um, yeah, I mean it's uh yeah there but you know those are great questions to get into. I mean you know we could get down a rabbit hole here but with AI and machine learning and and all of that, you know there's ethical um considerations there for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating world for sure and you know I I think I understand maybe 3% of it. Um even even as it gets granular for me uh, whether to chase someone when they abandon their car. Like maybe they're about to buy a membership and then they don't. And I have a choice to make. Can I, can I hound them into purchasing or give them space? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's been an interesting journey for me, I guess.
0: Right. Well, you know, and what you might think about uh, in the future, Steve, is when you see somebody pop on the site, you might think about chatbots. You yeah. know, and a chatbot, you know, is really... um how do I want to put it? It's more of a uh, covert way for you possibly to reach out. And just knowing that Lisa Nichols is on your site, you could have a chat bot there. How can I help you? Is there a question that I can answer? You know, so that could be a way that you could, you could still engage with the person in a very non-threatening way, possibly.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's good. Yeah. Well, Lisa. So now um, you can
0: learn all about that now, Steve.
1: Well, no, I, I, (laughs) I love that Can't idea. And, and of course, in, in January, my brain will be a bit more freed up to, to explore some of this a bit more. But um, someone had actually suggested that. And it, I like that idea because I like it when I'm on a site and I, I just need a little extra hand holding oftentimes to figure something Absolutely. out. But I, it's a really good word. Well, as a, as a woman in executive leadership, what do you wish men knew about woman, women in leadership or what's something... You'd like me as a man to know, if anything.
0: Right. No, that's a great question. Um, You know, and I would say, well, there's, I I didn't spend a ton of time on this, but the first thing that really comes to mind is a few years ago, I had the opportunity, Steve, to be invited to the White House with President Trump. It was an amazing, it was just a watermark moment for me that I will never forget. But um, it was VP Pence. Um, President Trump and Ivanka uh, in the Roosevelt Room. And there were 10 businesswomen from across the U.S. that were invited in. And so really what they were wanting to talk about was what is it for women business owners? How can we help? What are the major challenges? And so one of the things that came up for women is that they don't have enough role models. They don't have, there's not enough mentors out there. So you've gone to a certain level in your business, and you know you want to 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 reach up to somebody that is a little bit farther along than you are and so you know i would just encourage men women need sponsors and they need mentors you know and it would be wonderful you know for a woman to have um you know a a, a woman mentor but i would just say to men you know, pull your women up with you. I mean, that's how we're going to get equality. That's how we're going to get more diversity in our teams. It's not just the women pulling women forward and lifting women up, but it's men as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's study after study after study about how diversity in your business can really, it drops to the bottom line. The di- diversity will drive profit and better thoughts, better products. All of those things.
1: I love that you said that because I, I found the same to be true in the church leadership world. That having diversity of leadership strengthens the fabric of the church. It's you don't do diversity for its own end. Right. You do it for a better outcome. So mm-hmm. I love that that you just showed us that too. And you know, our mutual friend Katie Cole. Uh, I've learned a lot from Katie. Her book, Developing Female Leaders. Um, I, I just thought she had some incredible insight. And as, as a dude. You know, I'm still learning about just what it's like to be a dude with power. Like I'm tall, I've got a deep voice, I'm white. Um, and I, I love what Katie shared, of just the inside of the way, like if a man is applying for a job, I'll get the numbers wrong because uh, I'm riffing off mm-hmm. the top of my head. But basically it was like, if if I think I've got about 25% of what it takes, I'm going to apply. But a woman needs a much higher self-assessment of herself to apply. I never knew that. That was a fascinating uh, insight.
0: It's true. (laughs) Because women, you know, I think that there's this perception that they have to uh, come fully prepared, you know, and and know a lot more than... Yeah, but listen, none of us do. And uh, yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing a significant percentage of the time. And I'm a 26 year veteran in church leadership. Uh, what mm-hmm. I found helpful for men and women is to make that public often, like to let my team know. I right. don't want you to get the impression that I always know what I'm doing. Uh, because there is something about the way some men, not all men, of course, but certainly men like me, we we portray more confidence than we actually feel. So mm-hmm. We give the misimpression that we actually think we know what we're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful trait of a leader, Steve. I do. I think that vulnerability and say, you know what? I don't really have the answer here either, but I'm confident that together we'll figure it out, you know? And so, and, and giving your people a voice and, and letting them know that, Hey, I need your help (laughs) in figuring this out. I think that's a great trait of a leader.
1: Lisa Nichols, you have faced all manner of pressure as the CEO of Technology Partners, and yet, you have not yet conquered the gauntlet of anxiety questions. So, uh, here we go. Uh, sometimes a leader can be the last to know when we're not okay. Uh, Who in your life knows before you know? And what are the signs that you're giving off where they realize that you're not well?
0: That is, I love that question, by the way. (laughs) You know, but many times for me, Steve, it's my husband, Greg. You know, he really has to talk me off the rails and say, you know, you're so into the doing right now. You need to step back and and be. But, you know, surprisingly, we have a nine-year-old grandson, Sawyer. And I had Dr. Gary Chapman, which I know you know, uh, on the podcast last year. And, of course, I don't know. He's written 40 books. I don't know. But the five love languages. um, He's written um, Appreciation in the Workplace. He's got a lot of great books out there. But I decided in preparation for, for, for this interview with Dr. Chapman, I decided to take our nine-year-old grandson through the five lo- love languages. And I could kind of uh, suppose really what his were going to be, Steve, but it was kind of a great little confirmation. So what his number one love language was gifts. And you know, the question was, would you rather your, um, you know, your dad come and say, I will take you to the park or there's a surprise under your bed? <laughs> you know, and of course he said, the surprise under my bed, you know. So gifts was his number one, but the quality time came in yeah. to number two with Sawyer. His name's Sawyer. And um yeah. so I I took him through this, and it was so, it was so awesome to, you know, really kind of have that confirmation. But a couple weeks after that, Stephen, of course, I'm talking to Sawyer about this too and saying, Oh, you know, your love language, this is your love language, and this is how you receive love, kind of thing. But a couple weeks after that. I just had an incredibly um, overflowing week, where it was busy during the day. I I had an event on a Tuesday night that I just could not get out of. I came home and he was there, and he said, "Yeah, yeah." I came home from school today, and I wanted to do an art project, and you were not here. He goes, "I don't want you signing up for anything else." Steve, (laughs) I was just like, wow, you talk about the a moment, you know, and I'm like, wow, his second love language is quality time. Yeah. And so he is showing me that, hey, you are too overcommitted. You're not giving me what I need right now to feel love. And uh, I could go on and on, but a lot of times it's my family that are just like, mom, you're, you know, a little crazy right now.
1: Doing, so. doing, doing. Too much output, not enough input.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. trap. That's a trap for sure.
1: I, I don't know if this is the case with you, Lisa, but it is very common with a highly productive person like that, that it's we just struggle to rest because so much of our well-being is wrapped up in producing. Does that resonate with you?
0: Oh, totally. And I, you know, my parents, if you want to go back to family origin... My parents, Steve, I'm an only child.
1: Yeah. Okay. My
0: mom worked, um, up until she had me and she had me in her early thirties, um, and then quit work. But, um, my parents, honestly, some of the hardest working people you will ever meet. My dad, uh, was a manager at a plant until he was 65. He retired, but From the time that I was a little girl, I can remember my dad had a side business. He had his own business. He had his own HVAC and electrical business uh, for commercial, not for commercial, for residential. My dad if you can believe it, worked until he was 84 years old in that business. My mom got sick that year and my dad closed down the business. But if she had not got sick, Steve, he would probably still been working. We just celebrated his 92nd birthday last weekend. But um, my mom server, but I will tell you, my mom's mantra was an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And she really did believe that you had to keep kids incredibly busy to keep them out of trouble, which I never did get in trouble because I never had time to get in trouble. But I've kind of had to unravel that as yeah. an adult. It's not just the doing, it, you know, you can be productive and be still. In fact, that's sitting at Jesus' feet, the most important thing we can do, right?
1: Yeah. And sometimes the hottest. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, have to drop all your needs for control and impulse and activity. Yeah.
0: yeah, you always feel like I need to be accomplishing. I've got to be accomplishing, yeah. achieving, achieving. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Jeannie Duck, you know, leadership coach. She says, in the absence of information, people connect the dots in the most pathological way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly found that to be true in church leadership. But when you don't have all the information, what goes through your mind when you're trying to fill in the gaps, the the assumptions you make about yourself or others?
0: Yeah. Well, I I will just say right now, I do not have this all figured out. I'm still on a journey here, and I can get wrapped up in that as easily as anyone else. I've got a friend here in St. Louis that his name is Dr. Jason Silk, and he, is, um, he was a performance coach for many years for the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm. And he talks about, Steve, about the, um, you know, we have somewhere between 10,000 and, 10, and 65,000 thoughts a day. And I'm sure you've read this, uh, you know, study as well, but 80% of those thoughts are negative thoughts.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And so he calls it, most people are problem-centric thinkers. And so you're just always thinking about the problem, 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 focus, focus, focus. And what does that do? That creates tremendous anxiety, tremendous anxiety. Um, He has got a, a methodology that he calls Relentless Solution Focus. And he said, as soon as that, that negative, that problem, that challenge comes into your mind, within 60 seconds, you've got to ask yourself this question. What is the one thing I can do right now? What is the one thing, not the million things, but what is the one thing I can do right now to move the needle on this situation? And, you know, for me, I, I have, I don't do that perfectly. I want to continue to grow in that. Um, but, you know, he says there's always a solution to every challenge. There's always a solution. But the deal is most people give up. Most people give up before they get there. And so just be relentless about it. And so I try to practice that. But, but I will tell you, um, <laughs> the other thing for me is when I've got these situations and there's a gap in what I know, and then that creates anxiety, I just have to go fall to my knees and, you know, really cry out to God and ask him to, to um, show me and give me that wisdom that I talked about before, Mm. you know? Um, And he will, I mean, I usually like, well, I'll take my journal and I'll lay it, on our bed beside me and I'll kneel down, I'll have my pen there and I just go to the him in prayer, but I have my journal there so that when he speaks to me, I'm like yeah, writing curiously. Ready.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah. So that's for me. It's um I have to I have to fall to my knees and 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 tap into what he has to say about the situation.
1: Yeah. Oh, I really like that. John in 1 John 4, you know, he tells us that perfect love, I'll change the wording, but perfect love displaces fear is the way I word it casts Mm. out. And so I, I think having a regular encounter with love is so important. So when, tell us about a time recently where you felt fully and completely loved or just surrounded by love. What was that like for you?
0: Well, I'm going to go back to what I said. Um, you know, when I feel most fully loved is when I'm abiding in His presence. Mm, when you're not you know, Doctor, yeah, yeah, that is when I feel most fully loved, and I believe—I know you believe this too, Steve. I believe when you do that, that gives you the ability to to love others. When you feel fully loved, it's it's kind of like um, I heard it put, I don't know who coined this, but they said, you know, when God fills up your cup, you know, think of a coffee cup and you have a saucer underneath it, you know, the coffee cup is full and then you are loving out of what's in the saucer <laughs> because everything is flowing into the saucer and then you're, you've got that to give away. And um, for me, I know you know there i i often talk about uh, being centered you know as a leader and it's it's one of the most admired traits of a leader is to be a centered leader and yeah. the only way i can do that is by practicing the discipline of abiding
1: yeah lisa thanks so much for joining me on the MLA podcast i, I really appreciate your time and i i just love your workplace ministry and the way you navigate it. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun, Steve. For more resources, visit stevecuswords.com or missyoualliance.org.